Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Chris Willen with Chris Willen's Guide Service about uh, a lot of different topics. We're going to talk river fishing, uh, a little bit about differences between lakes and rivers. We'll talk about some fly fishing, and then we'll talk a little bit about must-have baits to uh, to go fishing on a river. Brad Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle is out of hibernation or wherever he was. He's been gone for, I don't know, a couple intros. But anyways, he's back. So Brad will be uh, adding his insight into this episode for I feel like nobody else wants to listen to me talk during any more episodes solo. So thank you for coming back, Brad. You saved the show. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, Jeff, but <laughs> I'm here. But I, I haven't been hibernating. I've been uh, doing the opposite. I really haven't slept a whole lot. <laughs> well, I hope in that case you've been catching some muskies then. Yeah, we've we've had a pretty good run. I would say that my open water trolling, I know there's been a bunch of people texting and asking how it's been going, and uh, I pretty much switched gears right before the 4th of July weekend and started casting because uh, it's probably the most frustrating open water trolling, I think, year I've ever had. So. If that gives you any inclination, um, I have switched over to casting, and that has been okay. So I'm happy we're we're at where we are, and um, things are go- looking up. All right. Well, then to add a little bit of insight into this, you got any thoughts on why this open water casting was worse than all the other ones? Particularly here in my area, and it does not sound like that's any different anywhere else. We are literally just now, I mean, this is Sunday before this comes out. We are just now starting to see some bug hatches. The other side of it is, is that I'm seeing a bait count, like a massive explosion of bait population that I've never, ever seen in my entire life. It's insane what I'm seeing out there. So without that bug hatch, the Cisco's aren't really truly moving to those basins where those bugs are, which means the muskies aren't following them as well. Um, don't get me wrong, we caught some out in the open water, but definitely not typical of a normal year. I'm seeing these fish are relating way more to structure, and I think it's based upon a couple different things. One, like I said, the bugs. Two, there's an explosion of bait population. I think that's been the two big factors for a poor open water bite. Well, fair enough. It's still early though. So let me ask you one other question, Brad. Does that mean that you, since you think that you're finally starting to see bug hatches, you will poke around a little bit out there in open water yet, or is water temperature an issue and it's, it's just going to be a casting deal from here on out? I basically took all my trolling gear and threw it in the burn pile. So I won't be going back to trolling. It, it was so bad, Jeff. And Do I think there's going to be a fish in the open water? Absolutely. You know, when you start getting some of those bug hatches, the bait fish are going to follow. And of course, the big fish are going to follow them. So there is still going to be a bite out there. I don't know. I have, I was on a trip this last week, so I haven't been on the water for a week up here in my waters. So I can't tell you if a thermal thermocline is developed yet, but I believe it has. It was getting really close. Um, that's going to kind of change some of the game too, as I've talked about it over a period of years here on the podcast. Once the thermal climb develops, I generally quit open water trolling. So you can't interrupt the flow. I mean, if there's bugs, there's bait fish and the big fish are going to be there. So is there a possibility? Yes. But all of my open water trolling trips are done for the year. So kind of missed out on it. 
Well, if you're still getting out musky fishing, which it appears as though there's a bunch of people that are, and you need gear for your upcoming musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com, where your source for all things musky fishing. You're looking for, you know, whatever it be, if it's bulldogs or bucktails or whatever, we have you covered. And I've said it millions of times on the podcast. It seems like an infinite amount of gear shows up every single week. So if uh, there's something in particular you're looking for, definitely check out our website. It seems to get updated daily. And also, if you need gear, there's one other website you can go check out. And Brad, why don't you talk about that? Well, I'll tell you what. You can check out muskymayhemtackle.com. We definitely handle most of the different blade combos that you could ever imagine for bucktails. And uh, you can build your own customs right on our website. Check us out. We'd love to have you as a customer. And you can also check us out on pretty much any social uh, platform as well. All right, Brad. Well, enough about that. Enough about the intro. Let's uh, go dial up our conversation with Chris Willen, Chris Willen Guide Service. All right. Our guest this week is Chris Willen with Chris Willen's Guide Service. Chris, thanks for coming on the podcast tonight. You know, it's the first time that we've had you on. And I think there's a good chance that a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with you. So why don't you kind of talk about, you know, what got you into musky fishing, talk about your guide service, and then uh, we'll have a conversation about muskies today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Been uh, guiding full-time up here in northern Wisconsin since 2011. Um, Mostly do river trips and smaller bodies of water up here, like some of the smaller natural lakes. Uh, Living up in uh, just south of Hayward area, so that's where I'm at. And I kind of bounce around the whole state depending on water levels and time of year and kind of what's going on. You know, the rivers are a little little different than the lakes. I kind of got to play a lot a lot by the weather just to see if we can even get the boats down the rivers sometimes. <laughs> That's pretty much what I do up here uh, from, you know, open till close. And then uh, I was guiding in Tennessee for about seven years as well in the wintertime. So did a, did a lot of musky fishing in the south. Um, the whole Southern range really and settled on Tennessee for a little while. And with, you know, COVID the last couple of years, I kind of put a pause on that, but we're going to get back going on that here pretty soon. And that's kind of what I do, man. Musky fishing all the time. Uh, a little bit of smallmouth stuff early season on the rivers. It's, uh, too good not to do it. That's it, man. Muskies 24 seven, pretty much. If somebody wanted to book a trip with you, learn more about you, how do they go about doing that? Um, my website's just chriswillen.com. Can look me up on Instagram. It's CW Guide, and uh, Facebook is just Chris Willen. And post uh, somewhat regularly. Kind of been taking a little social media hiatus here lately, but pretty up to date. So, Chris, you talked about water levels. What are you looking at right now? Because it seems like I was just up in northern Wisconsin. It seemed like things are were fairly dry. I mean, I haven't cut my my grass up up my camper in I don't know probably a month, and it didn't really seem like it was like you know ridiculously long. So are you dealing with, uh, you know, low water conditions up by you? Yeah, we are definitely, uh, got a little bit lower water than usual. It's pouring rain right now though. So hopefully she'll jump up a little bit. You know, you can't do the smaller stuff when it gets really, really low. You kind of got to move to some bigger stuff and, uh, you know, play the, play the levels game. It's, uh, it's getting a little scrapey out there though. I'll be honest with you. You know, so you spend a lot of time on the rivers. Do you prefer... You know, is it is the fishing easier, I guess, high water or low water? You know, I would say high water or low water. You kind of get in that mid-level range, and all of a sudden the river becomes uh, a lot bigger in a sense to where they have more places where they can be and com- and be comfortably. 
one extreme or the other for me personally. So let's talk a little bit about rivers. Like what's the, if, if an angler is listening and they want to jump on a river, you know, what's the most important thing when it comes to river fishing for muskies? You know, I would say safety before you jump on a river that you haven't been on before. I would be cautious, maybe, um, do some mapping and do some, do some asking around, make sure there's no rapids or anything that maybe the type of boat you have can't get through. That would be my number one thing that I would look into. And then, uh, you know, the other thing is just, you can look at the grass and see kind of what, what the water levels are and, and see kind of throughout the year what they are. And it just looks like it's at a safe level, you know, or something where you can get your, whatever boat you got down, that would be a good place to start. And, you know, time of year, certain times of year, the river fish is a little bit better. If it gets hot out, you know, those lakes kind of heat up a little bit and the river will stay a little bit cooler. Chris, uh, what boat are you running on the river? Are you doing drift trips or are you doing a jet boat style? What, what do you get? What's the process there? What do you got going on? Drift boat. So like a, like a fly fishing skiff, um, casting stanchions and then removable casting stanchions that you can put platforms in that are elevated platforms that are like four by four, basically they're massive. And so I call them the dance floors. So if I could just learn that head spin, I'd be doing some really cool stuff out there on the river. (laughs) So I have that would basically just row that thing down the river, a little four horse. And then I also have a towy boat with a uh, 20 horse jet motor and a removable rowing frame and trolling motor system. Um, so if I have like one or two people and the, and the water levels are right, I can jet boat around or if it's, uh, gets low, I start kind of sneaking around on the drift boat or if I'm fly fishing, you know, uh, the drift boat comes in pretty handy too. That's super cool. I, um, I'm kind of curious. I mean, you know, I've always thought about buying a drift boat and I used to run some drift boats out in Montana and Wyoming. What brand drift boat are you running, Chris? It's an adipose, the adipose flow more of a skiff style drift boat uh your traditional drift boat maybe that most people are used to seeing with the pointy ends of a lot of people call them banana boats or mckenzie style uh boats more western those are for like taking big waves and and being able to handle big water and you know here in the midwest the skiff is really the way to go and, and as far as the drift boat scene goes they're a little more flat and for musky fishing there's no high sides on or high pointed fronts or rears. So, um, it's easier to handle fish at the boat, you know, figure eighting and, and move, you know, moving around from one side to the other when you got them on and you don't have to deal with that. And the other thing is, you know, we don't have tons of giant, giant rapids like those boats are designed to take. So we don't really need them. Um, there's definitely some rapids around here that you got to be careful and you kind of got to know the line in a skiff so you can get through it safely and, and dry. Yeah, they're, they're sweet, man. It's like 15 and a half feet long. Like I said, removable seats and uh, casting stanchions, and then you put those those uh, casting like platforms on it, and they're like C-decked and pretty big, and you got a, basically two giant casting decks like you'd have in the front of a bass boat in a, in a drift boat. It's pretty crazy. The cool thing about some of that river fishing, and I'm guessing it's no different where you're where you are. I mean, it's remote, and it's just so cool. Kind of a neat trip for somebody that hasn't ever done it. That's for sure. Yeah, so the rivers are pretty remote, and uh, showing new people that stuff is just blast. You know, they 
whole new experience. I've really been getting a lot of um, people from all over the place in the last couple of years with COVID and Canada being closed. And uh, exposing people to their use of fishing, bigger water to the small river stuff is really fun. And it's fun seeing their reaction to kind of larger size, smaller bodies of water. And I've had many people be like, I didn't expect to see something like that out here. And, you know, that's, that's obviously the goal to find the, find the big ones. But, you know, we catch a lot of uh, three foot to low 40 inches and then good amount of mid 40s and then, you know a handful of those upper 40 50 inch feet not not a ton of species, obviously maybe one or two people that are used to fishing in the woods eagle and, and that stuff and then they come over a river where you can cast across the whole thing the whole time it's, it's a fun experience all right so chris let's talk a little bit about the differences between fishing lakes and rivers what's something that so, what's a few things that you find to be you know i'd say different in how you approach these fish just like times a year on, on lakes, you know, fish will move from rocks to weeds to cribs to other various uh, cover and things like that. They do the same things in the rivers. Um, you know, early season, guys fishing lakes, you know you guys are fishing pretty shallow, doing stuff like that. Same thing in the rivers. You'll find fish pretty shallow, looking for those darker bottoms where they're warming up early, adjacent to sloughs and things like that where they might have been spawning. So some of that kind of correlates, but the, you know, I would say the main difference is, is kind of what we were touching on earlier with water levels is that really shuffles the deck, so to speak. And it can really, these fish in the river have a very large range and they move really a lot, I think, uh, depending on levels and, and time of year and, you know, water temperature and all that stuff. You know, I know for a fact they'll move miles and miles and miles. I, we've had recaptures before where, you know, you caught the fish nine, 10 miles upstream. And then at a different time of year, we've caught it, you know, downstream or, or, or vice versa. So they, they roam around. It's kind of cool. Um, so lake fish, you know, you're doing the same thing, I guess, right? We see that all the time. You talk to guys that catch them in one spot of the lake and then maybe somebody else catches the same fish in another side of the lake. So that, that correlates. But yeah, the biggest difference really is the fact that the water level changes things so very much. You know, you could have an area with two, two and a half feet of water where a fish might actually feel comfortable if there's some cover right there to, you know, that's the water drop in eight inches a foot. And now all of a sudden there's definitely not going to be a big muskie right there. You kind of got to, <laughs> I always say addresses, you know, you kind of got to know a lot of addresses on the river. Um, and kind of know where to look when when things change. You know, adapting to those changes is, is kind of what keeps you on them on the moving water. And, you know, things fluctuate, too, out of the uh, the weather. You know, we got all these dams around here and everything, so sometimes that has an effect, too. If they're holding back water to fill something up or, you know, in the fall letting them loose or whatever they do to drop those flowages for the wintertime bait fish that uh, the muskies are targeting all the time? Uh, they're eating suckers, man. There's just pods of suckers out there in the river. You know, we definitely have seen uh, many times, too, where, the river, you know, sometimes you're going through a small little channel or something like that, and you might move some, uh, displace some fish as you're, as you're going through. And we've seen many times where a little pike swoops out downstream and then all of a sudden boom big explosion and or the pike starts 
you know, kind of porpoising and, and jumping out of the water and all that stuff and, and trying to get away and this muskies chasing them. And same thing with smallmouth, you know, we get, uh, occasionally we'll, when we're smallmouth fishing, we'll have muskies tag them. So, you know, they can eat all that stuff. There's walleyes out there, catfish, um, but mainly suckers, man. I mean, I think that's what they're eating most of the time, just judging by the schools of them that we see. And, you know, that's, they no, no secret. They love suckers, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what I figured you were going to say. Do you, do you see any correlation with like, uh, bug hatches and things like that that kind of pull the suckers or the other bait fish into a certain area than the muskies follow? Do you ever notice that on the rivers? Um, you know, I don't notice it with bugs per se, but definitely temperature and then water level stuff. You know, if you've got creeks blowing in dirty water with a bunch of bugs and worms and stuff, you know, you're going to have suckers kind of moving up into there and everything, you know, walleyes too. I guess in a, in, a, in a way that's bug life, but not so much like hatches. No, not, not, I haven't noticed that. Some of these waters that you're fishing, Chris, are they trout water too, or is it just pretty much the, the normal fish that I guess we think of when it comes to lakes? Do you have trout in those streams? No, not really. A couple of the places they'll have like uh, feeders that come in that have trout further upstream of them but the trout won't come into the rivers or fish in the warm water stuff and it just just gets a little too warm for them um occasionally you'll hear of a guy catching a brook trout or, or something strange um sucker fishing early season before anything's open you know and they're when they're doing that for the sucker balls or whatever they do so but you know once the water temperature starts warming up those trout aren't going to want to be in that river is too hot you know, so Chris, I'm assuming that the majority of the water, like the, the the average depth that you're fishing is, has to be somewhere, what, I mean, you're talking five feet or are some of these rivers getting pretty deep? Not very deep. Shallow, rocky rivers for the most part. Five feet would be a good spot. Uh, you know, 10 feet would be deep, stuff like that. Most of it's pretty shallow. Um, fly fishing using intermediate lines a lot, so kind of like 1.25 inches per second of a sink rate, which is going to drag your fly down a little bit with it. Otherwise, with lures, you know, a lot of a lot of high riding stuff, high riding gliders, uh, shallow rubber, bucktails, top water, obviously for sure. Uh, everybody, anybody that's fished a river is probably throwing top water. You know, it's kind of the most fun thing to do out there, really. And you you're not getting snagged up in rocks and stuff. And seems to be, um, you know, super effective in the in those shallow rivers. Absolutely. Well, I would imagine, I mean, in, a, in some instance on the river aspect, that's got to make it a little bit easier as far as you don't have to worry about covering so much of the water column. You know, basically, if if you're throwing a top water and you're in five feet of water, that fish has no issues coming up to smash that fish or smash that bait. So, I mean, it takes one piece out of the puzzle, I'd say, by rivers. So I'm guessing there's more pieces of the puzzle, and that's just going to be location. You know, how much do these fish use current? I'm, I'm guessing it's a ton. And, you know, how easy is it to, for your average angler to, I guess, find good spots using the current? Well, I mean, it's just the time of year thing with that. Um, warmer the water, you know, I would say the faster the water they can be in. And they'll draft, you know, they can sit behind a rock with their nose just touching it, you know, and they'll draft right there with pretty minimal effort. Um we'll catch them sometimes in rapids and things and they'll have rub marks on their faces and on their, on the front of their mouths, um, where they've been drafting against rocks. 
And and the same thing at dams. You'll see them uh, drafting against concrete a lot, and the sides of their faces will be rubbed off, or their their noses will be rubbed off a little bit, and that's just from kind of just like how you you know you'd see a car draft another one, they sit behind that, and it kind of just holds them there. That's kind of part of it. Sometimes they want to be I, I say off the treadmill, you know, off the main current. Uh, and, and be in areas where they can just kind of chill a little bit easier without drafting, maybe sitting in eddies or the deeper water is easier for them to go down and get out of that, that current that's going over the top. Most a lot, most of your currents going over the top like that. So yeah, just time of year, man, you know, in the summertime you can catch them in the, the fastest water there is. We, uh, we had a pretty nice fish today in some water that was ripping. Know? so it's uh it's pretty fun it's pretty fun when you hook them in that stuff they do a lot of crazy stuff a lot of jumping a lot of jumping rolling on the surface it's a lot of it's pretty uh it's pretty sweet man they don't have a lot of you know they don't, they can't go down deep there's not deep water to go so a lot of times they only they can only go up so chris one thing i've heard i may have mentioned this on previous podcasts is that the more moving water you have within a system the less the moon of the, you know, the moon phases will affect these fish. Is that something that you see or are you still getting lots of bites during, you know, we'll call it, we'll say like, you know, moonset, moonrise, that kind of stuff. I really see exactly what you're saying. I see a lot less of a correlation with that in the rivers. Also because of the way that my rivers that I'm fishing are set up. I don't really, a lot of times, um, you know, we talked about having the jet boat and the drift boat and kind of going between the two. Sometimes, you know, the river's too low or you're going through a section where it's just trolling motors not going to work and the jet boat's not going to work. You know, you can row it, absolutely. But then I usually just take the drift boat and, you know, you're going from point A to point B and covering anywhere from, you know, a short one would be six, a long one would be like 18 miles. So you kind of only have so many hours in the day to do that, you know, so that's one of the, I guess we, we could have touched on that with the differences between lakes and rivers too. I necess- don't necessarily always have the ability to be where I want to be at certain times, you know, just because of where that location might be in a float. It's just not feasible to be a mile into the float at sunset, you know, <laughs> then you got, you know, eight miles, you got to figure it out. Right. You know, the moonset, moonrise, all that stuff, majors, minors. Yeah. You know, I obviously have seen that happen for sure, but it's not like my number one concern as it would be like lake fishing. I think it's always interesting, Chris, you know, every year it's a little bit different as well. There's times here where that moon phase probably isn't really playing the biggest factor for a bite window. Right. And so I think we all, I mean, the guys that spend the water or spend the time on the water daily definitely start finding their own little windows. But the little bit of river fishing that I've done for muskies, it definitely doesn't seem to be as quite as a large factor. Yeah, I just, you just don't have the ability to, to run spot to spot to spot as quickly as you do. So it just doesn't become as big of a, a player in the game for me. You know, I, I do see correlations for sure and and uh, and things like that, but it's more of a, you know, getting down the river at the time and, and making sure that you're in spots, you know, that, that are good when things are going on. But, 
you know, also not having to take your boat out at midnight or something silly. Like if anybody's been listening, that's been fishing rivers for a long time, we've all done that, you know, pushed it a little bit and had to, uh, navigate some boulder gardens in the dark and things like that. And then, uh, you know, every time, never again. Right. But you find yourself doing it. <laughs> we misjudged what our drift was going to be. Right. So yeah, I, I felt like I was on an Alfred Hitchcock movie. We had so many mosquitoes on top of us. It was insane. Seen some headlights and we actually got a, caught a ride to our, to our uh, end game and got the vehicle back up there. But so I know exactly what you're talking about. It's not always that fun. <laughs> yep. It's a different game out there. And uh, there's no fish until the last second, usually, unless you've got perfect timing. All right, so Chris, I'm going over some of your notes that you gave me. You know, you're one of those good prepared guides that gave me some uh, some talking points here. And we talk about a little bit about fly fishing, and it says you know like when you want to pick up the fly rod and when you want to put it down. Why don't you talk a little bit about that for anglers that are doing a little fly fishing or or thinking about doing it? Yeah, totally. It's it's an awesome tool to have in your arsenal, um, even if you're not a fly all the time guy, uh, which a lot of musky dudes aren't. It's just something cool to have and, and something for, uh, I think every angler should be able to, to do it, you know, just for followed, uh, you know, f- a lot of fish that you get to follow that you can go back on and show them something totally different, or maybe you're where you fish is a little bit pressured and you can show them something that maybe they haven't seen before. So I think just picking up a basic setup and, and, um, kind of getting your, your ABCs with it just so that you can be proficient in a, in a situation like that is, is something that I think, you know, like I said, everybody should pick up, man. It's, it can be really, really effective. Um, and it can, it can inversely be super not effective. Uh, so sometimes definitely if you're a fly guy and uh, you're getting into musky fishing and there's dirt, cer- certainly times where you need to just put it down and uh, pick up a bait caster and start throwing some lures around and learn some things about muskies and how they move around and things like that. Um, and you can take that to fly fishing and, and become a better fly angler. But in, inversely, if you're uh, just getting into the fly, you know, cold fronts, when you get fish that are maybe not moving super great, knowing maybe when you're, when you switch to a glider, any situation where you're going to switch to a glider, a fly works really good or a hanging and pausing jerk bait a fly works really good in that situation as well you know it can be the difference between putting a fish in the boat or not sometimes i mean i've seen it many many times where you move a fish and you go back with a fly and they bite it it's just a really unique uh way to present a bait to them um i fish with larry Dahlberg a lot and he talks about this thing called zone of awareness and every fish has got a zone of awareness. And the more that you can hang your bait in that warrior fly in that zone, you know, the more likely you are to trigger that strike, right? And the fly just has a really unique ability to hang there. Sort of motionless, but with movement. You know, when what I mean by that is like you're not doing anything, but the fly is still kind of undulating in the current or the fibers are pulsing or something's happening with that thing at all times even when you kill it dead it's still something's happening you know and being able to hang that stuff in that you know that zone of awareness can really really trigger some really cool strikes you know when i first i first started musky fly fishing in like 2010 
you know, those first few strikes, the first few times that you see a musky eat a fly, uh, in person, you know, yourself watching, you know, videos of Larry, even before I knew him, um, on Rowan Lake, I think a lot of people have seen that stuff back in the day, the hunt for big fish stuff where he's catching those giant, giant muskies on fly rods looked pretty cool. Um, and then when we finally did it, the, just watching them eat those things and, and seeing how they reacted to them, it was like a whole new thing. You know, I never hadn't seen them eat baits like that. And it was just like, oh, this is going to be a really cool way to catch these fish. Because I grew up musky fishing with the lures and then I got into the whole fly thing kind of late to fly fishing. But muskies is kind of what brought me to fly fishing. It, it was just another way to, to catch these things. So the cold front thing is good. You know, we talked about the pressured fish, uh, you know, or, or follows. That's huge. Like, you know, there's a lake in southern Wisconsin. I don't want to drop names and make anybody upset, but everybody, you know, everybody down there fishes it. It's a, it's a super popular lake to, to fish. And the first time we went out there with flies, we moved like 15 muskies. And we were like, holy smokes. You know, I don't think anybody ever does this out here, you know. So it's... uh it's just a really interesting and unique way to catch them and, and show them something that they're not seeing, you know, and nine times out of 10 or even, even probably more wherever you're fishing, there's probably not a lot of fly people. You know, Chris, lately they've been making some of these castable flies that you can throw with traditional gear. Have you had any experience with those? Oh yeah, totally. We did that early on kind of when we got into it, try to make some crossover stuff. Super cool. Um, another way that we've done it before is kind of Carolina rigging flies with bait casting and spinning gear, you know, egg sinkers and making, making slideable sinkers on, on wire pieces and then running long leaders. And that's, that's a pretty effective way to do it. There's various ways to, uh, to cast them on, on gear as well. But, uh, you know, it's pretty fun to catch them on a fly rod. You, uh, you get the basic cast down and the, and the differences between setting the hook and everything. You, a little bit more hand-to-hand combat. Uh, I would joke around and call it, you know, just, you're not really using the reel that much. It's kind of all just playing the line in your hands and using the rod as a big, big spring, basically, and tiring them out with that, with that rod. You know, we're using 10 and 11 uh, weight rods, so they're, they're, and 12 weights too, so they're pretty, pretty stout stuff. Yeah, the castable flies, it's cool. I, I dig it, you know, I dig it. It's people, uh, noticing that the fly is a, is a good tool to use you know the beaver is kind of kind of like a castable fly as well all right so let's talk somebody's looking to get into fly fishing i know we've talked a little bit about this in past episodes but it's probably way back you know can you give some recommendations on you know a, a reel a rod and some line that's maybe not going to break the bank sure yeah i'm a little partial to my rod uh you know i did i helped design a musky rod with g loomis so um that's that's the one that I like the most, uh, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, but two years of designing it, so we really went through a lot of work to uh, to make sure it was the right tool for the job. That's the G Loomis IMX Pro M, and that comes in an 11 and a 12 weight. The 11 weight's a little bit caster friendly, more taper. It's two different tapers, um, which refers to uh, the basically the stiffness and how the rod bends. And the 12 weight's a little bit stiffer and a little bit beefier. That's for like your really, really big flies, fall, late, late fall stuff, winter fishing. 11 weight is definitely, um, if you're just getting into it, where you want to start. Or you can go uh, like a 10 weight route or, um, 
you know, every major fly rod company now has a musky fly rod. So if you're partial to a brand or price point is an issue for you, um, you know, you can start anywhere from rods that cost a couple hundred dollars to, you know, rods that are over a thousand bucks. So it's just kind of what you want to get into. But, uh, the line, it just, the, the line really, you have to change it a lot. It depends on the water level and it depends on what location you're at on the river. Sometimes if you're fishing shallow, you have an intermediate sink line that'll sink. Uh, so the line will sink like one or one and a half inches per second, as opposed to a like sink four or something that would sink four inches per second or even faster, depending on the brand. So you kind of, you move, you move uh, from rates of sink to where you are with water depth and also fly choice. Certain flies are going to be a little bit more buoyant and require more of a sink rate to drag them down underneath the surface to get them to be subsurface. And other flies, you kind of want the opposite. You kind of want your line up and the fly down, and then you can manipulate the fly to come back up and down that way. Um, so it's, it's situational with the, with the lines, but you're going to need to basically an, an, a full intermediate sink and then a, a full sink. Um, we don't really use floating lines like traditionally with fly fishing. A lot of lines are floating. We don't really use floating lines that much uh, with muskies. So it's those two scientific anglers make some really great stuff. Titan intermediate was, would be what I would use for the intermediate. Uh, whichever weight rod that you get, it'll say 10, 11 or 12 weight on the, on that. And then you just pair it to your rod. And that basically has to do with grain weight. 400, 450 grain weights is what you're going to be looking at. Sometimes 500 grains if you're going to, going up to, um, higher. So if you're familiar with archery or, or stuff like that, you know, you go arrows have grain weights as well for the tips and, and um, whatever you're shooting. So that's what loads the rod. The, the grain refers to how many grains it, take, it basically takes to load that rod to then deliver that line. You know, you just pair them. It's, it's pretty easy these days to just pair them. You don't have to go and, and kind of figure it all out. They'll kind of tell you on the back of it. Uh, but And then there's a, a sonar musky, uh, which, which will be your full sink. You've got a 25-foot sinking head. It's basically like tungsten-coated uh, line mixed with PVC. And um, the 25-foot head of that, and then the rest of the line, it's about 90 feet total, is uh, floating. So you have that 25 feet of fast sink line that drags your flying leader down and that's what you're using in the deeper holes or in the fall uh when the fish are more located kind of more towards the bottom and you kind of got to drag it in front of their face a little bit more and you're using generally in the fall using a bigger bigger fly so uh it takes a little bit bigger line sometimes to get those things off the surface and actually drag them down into the water column and then a reel you know the reel is really just a line holder with this game a lot of fly fishing, the reel is really important. Muskies don't really run away from you like a lot of fish do with a fly rod. You know, you know, from catching them on lures and stuff like that, they're, they're more of a run at you, head shaking, right? So you're, you're not really using the reel a whole lot. It's a lot of hand stripping and, and keeping the line, the line tight that way. So you can kind of get away with whatever reel that you like. You know, you can look online. You can find them anywhere from about a hundred bucks to, you know, the sky's the limit on the, on the fly reel. You can get by with a pretty simple reel. Um, definitely want to spend the money on the rod and the, and the uh, line in, in that, 
in that department. The real is not as important. Whereas, you know, inversely, I would say it's the exact opposite with, uh, I mean, obviously it's all important, but with, you know, throwing lures, the real is really important, right? Yeah, definitely. I would agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, it's very important drags and all that stuff. It's, you don't want to buy the cheapest reel that you can. I've seen that go wrong back in my way, way early days. Yeah. Many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, back in the day, I mean, when you're, when you're younger and you're just getting into the sport, you don't want to necessarily go buy all the greatest gear right away because you're not sure if you're even going to want to, you know, stick around and chase these stupid things. And then you catch one (laughs) and then you're stuck forever. So then that's when you start spending money on a bunch of good gear. Yep, exactly. The line also too, we didn't, we didn't mention, I didn't mention it, but made me think about it with the reels, you know, reels have gear ratios, kind of how fast you're going to be bringing your bait in with, with flies, you're stripping it. You're doing that all manipulating it with your hands. So if you're stripping, if you're having to strip really, really fast, like maybe this time of year, you have to use those thinking lines to get that fly down. So you're not just dragging it on the surface the whole time because you're trying to move it so quickly or, even putting the rod up in your armpit and doing a two-hand strip, which is like a big technique that East Coast striper guys use, but, um, you know, it, it bleeds out all over everything else too, uh, fishing-wise, trout and, and, and muskies especially, pike. But that's a, that's a good way when, you know, everybody else is catching them on bucktails. Um, you know, they want that fast-moving stuff. You can, you can get that fly moving pretty quick that way. Well, you know, Chris, I mean, you talked about it. This is obviously a technique that's not just specific to river anglers. You told me that you went south and you, you caught some fish doing it in, the, in lakes. So, I mean, it's something that lake anglers should definitely consider as well, right? Oh, definitely. We catch muskies um, on flies and lakes all the time, um, all over the place. Minnesota, Michigan, Tennessee, Virginia, um, Kentucky. You know, I mean, it works. it works anywhere you go. The lake game is just a little different. You know, if you're fishing a lot, you're, you're not, you can kind of forget about the intermediate line pretty much. You're going to be always throwing a sinking line. It's really, really effective in lakes, uh, especially like we were talking about earlier. You know, I'm going to keep saying it because it really does ring true is just, you know, pressured systems and places where they might see baits a lot. Um, the fly can definitely get some bites. And, uh, you know, one more fish in the boat's huge. Uh, you know, on a trip or, or, uh, just a, a day trip, or if you're out for, you know, three, four days on a, on a more of extended trip, maybe one or two more fish in the boat. That's awesome. You know, we, it's, a, it's not a big numbers game usually, um, unless you get onto something special, but so it's, it's, uh, pretty sweet. It's, it's, you know, Lake St. Clair, we do a lot of fly fishing and we go we do trips over there. And I lived over there for a couple years, uh, guiding some, smallmouth rivers and stuff for a fly shop over there by Ann Arbor, uh, Schultz Outfitters. But, um, did a, did a ton of fly throwing on Lake St. Clair and caught some nice fish. My buddy Eric out there catches some really big ones, um, fly fishing. So it definitely works anywhere the muskies swim. You know, Chris, you talked about that Gene Loomis rod that you, you know, you helped design roughly how much does that rod like that cost? $625. So it's definitely not a cheap investment getting involved in on the fly side. I mean, like you said, you can get some cheaper rods, but I mean, that's, that, that's up there as far as, you know, even your traditional gear. Absolutely. Yep. It's not a uh, fly fishing has always been just a little bit more expensive, you know, that, you know, they don't sell as much of it. So <laughs> that's just how it goes. But there's uh there's plenty of options to, 
get into a rod, a more beginner price tag rod, you know, everything from custom stuff. A lot of the custom rod makers in the areas have fly rods too. So, you know, Thorns has got them, um, all that stuff. So you can get into one from them or any of the, uh, you know, brands and fly fishing that have been known for a little bit better price points. They, they have musky rods too. And, you know, you can get into them for maybe uh, half that price, you know, $300 or something like that. There's not a lot of like, uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot in that like hundred and something dollar range, which, um, you know, would be a good, good price tag for, you know, musky, uh, a traditional musky rod for somebody that's just getting into it. But, uh, yeah, it's a, there's a little bit of barrier to entry there definitely with the price tag, but you know, you buy one, you got it forever. And, uh, a lot of the, you buy a good one, you get a good warranty and you can have it for a really long time and catch a bunch of fish on it. You know, the other thing too about fly, let's talk about the flies themselves. Is that something that you make or, or are you buying them from people? You know, it seems as though like it's still almost like underground as far as the flies go. They're just not readily available. I mean, I know we don't carry any of them and it seems like, you know, if you go to a musky show, there's, you know, a couple people there that are selling flies, but not too many. Yeah. Um, I tie most of mine. I, I do get some, <laughs> he's super slammed. So sorry, Eli, but, um, I'm going to name drop you here. Um, my buddy, Eli Brandt at great lakes fly. Um, the ones that I do buy, I get from him and he's got some really killer patterns that, um, one, one's called an optimist swine. And, uh, that one's great. It incorporates a popper head into the design of the fly and, and kind of like mid fuselage, I guess you would call it like mid midway down the fly. There's a popper head and it kind of creates a, a different buoyancy point, you know, and it, that fly really walks the dog just like a glide bait. You get the right cadence on the strip and it will every, every single time, bop, 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 just like a glide bait. So that's pretty badass. Um, and he ties, he ties some really great stuff. Another one, B1G, the two hook fly. The, the other one I was talking about was just a single hook fly. That one also will kind of walk the dog. It's got a popper head in it as well. And, uh, people can buy them from him directly. And, and that's a good way to get into them if you don't tie them. Um, otherwise if you tie them, bucktail flash and feathers and some synthetic materials like big fly fiber, flashaboo. Um, stuff like that is kind of what they're made out of hackle feathers, uh, schlopping feathers, chicken stuff, um, all chicken feathers. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to make them, you know, it's, you know, it, I would say if you're a musky guy and you think it would be fun to catch one on your own bait and you've tried to make your own lures before, um, it can be a little tricky, especially if you're working with wood or, or pouring plastics or things like that. Um, with flies, you know, you can get a basic vise, a hook, and some thread, and and some bucktail, and and you can kind of lash something together that'll catch fish, and it's kind of rewarding to catch something on something that you make. I'm sure Brad, you can attest to that more than most. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of people go down that path, right? They all want to catch something that they've made. It's super cool. There's no question about it. And the neat thing is, I mean, I've seen some of these musky flies. I think part of the problem with tying flies, like I used to try to tie flies for trout, they're so tiny and you're sitting there like I shake. So I'm like, how can I tie this? Where a musky fly is a little bit bigger and I think it's a little bit easier to tie. And um, I think uh, just about anybody can do it if they really want to put their mind to it. 
Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Um, that's how I, I got into tying flies kind of as a kid for, for large mouths. It's a, a similar game. Um, you know, bigger hooks, bigger thread, kind of easier materials and muskies is exponentially, you know, bigger and easier. Um, we're tying on most of the time, most of the flies that I tie personally are on a five lot spinner bait hook. So it's not a small hook by any means. I'm using two ten denier thread, which, uh, probably doesn't sound like much to most people, but it's a pretty stout thread for, um, pull, pulling on that deer hair and, and wrapping it around that hook. You got to pull on it pretty hard. Um, right. You're probably using way heavier stuff than that to, to do the bucktails, but, uh, um, you know, you can, you can get away with pulling on it pretty, pretty good without snapping it. And that makes it a little easier for, for new people to, uh, get into it. If you're snapping your thread all the time, obviously it gets a little frustrating, but totally agree. Anybody can tie a musky fly and, and go catch a fish on it. If you saw some of my first few musky flies that I tied that I caught a bunch of fish on, there's no way if somebody came into my boat today, I'd be like, yeah, let's tie that one on buddy. But, uh, you know, they, they work, you know, as, as ugly as they can be sometimes. Mine were definitely not super pretty, but they, as soon as they get in the water, they, they get a lot prettier looking. And most of those materials really truly come to life when they're in the water. If you're pulsating that bait or doing whatever you're doing with it, it's going to like breathe in the water. So, I mean, instantly what it looks okay on land looks phenomenal on the water. Totally. You can get away with, you know, with smaller flies like you're talking about, like, you know, even really small trout stuff, you're counting thread wraps and you're doing crazy stuff like that. With this, it's just hair wrangling, basically, <laughs> whether it's a flashaboo or bucktail, you're, you're kind of just lashing it on there and, you know, thread wraps can be showing and you can have glue, you know, get some glue in the material and oh dang it, you'd have to throw it out if it was a little dry fly for trout, but with these, it <laughs> still works. And it seems like the more they get chewed on, the better they work. Kind of like a, you know, a good bucktail sometimes too is that way. But you know, they the the muskies naturally thin them out a little bit for you every time you catch one, and the flies just start swimming better and better until they until uh, they don't anymore. Sometimes they break. You know, you got to be. I would uh, encourage anybody that's tying their own to use really heavy connection wire or even single strand and bend your own loops and stuff like that. Definitely seen a lot of flies break over the years. You know, that sucks. Obviously you work hard to get the bite and you want to get them. Are you seeing a huge influx of people, Chris, that are just coming with a fly rod versus, you know, the traditional casting? Well, you know, when I started, I did primarily fly guiding. Um, I would say I did, a lot less traditional uh tech musky gear guiding um just for for what i did for work but you know every i get all kinds where you know the guys i had today both of them um were after their first musky on the fly you know so you get all, all sorts of uh experience levels and stuff like that got some guys show up with their own rods in the last couple of years you know uh really been doing a lot more conventional tackle trips too i just I like it all guys. You know, I just like chasing muskies and, uh, you know, when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again all the time, it's, it's hard to, hard to learn new things. Right. So when you kind of bounce back and forth between flies and lures and lures and flies, this and that, this and that, you're kind of constantly seeing how the fish are reacting to new things or how the fish are reacting to the same things. 
and you know, okay, I've seen a fish here. It's come out a couple of times on a bucktail now or on a topwater or a glider, you know, fill in the blank. Let's see now, I'll throw the fly at it or vice versa, you know, or it's like, I've moved this fish on a fly like three times. I can't get it to eat. You know, you throw a double 10 over it and bam, they smash it, you know? <laughs> so it, it's just cool like that. You know, you just figuring out more pieces of the puzzle. And I think anybody that musky fishes a lot probably enjoys that part of the game a little bit. You have to, to kind of do it all the time is just all pieces of the puzzle. I say that all the time, Chris, there's no question about it. I think, uh, you know, you're continually learning every day on the water and each one of those components is only going to, you know, build your arsenal or put more tools in the toolbox. And I think that fly rod is another tool that can be optimized in, in the world of fishing. I agree a hundred percent. And I try to say that to people all the time instead of just like, you don't have to be a fly fisherman to fly fish, you know, or, or whatever the, stigma that you might have against you know oh, that's really hard or there's all kinds of, i hear you know all kinds of weird stuff like oh there's too many knots or you know stuff like that and it's, it's really you know once you get it get it down it's, it's not that much different and it's just another way to approach these fish that we all really love to chase you know i said it before but i, I mean it you know and a couple more fish a trip or even a year for some guys you know that's awesome and if it's take learning something just a little bit out of your comfort zone um, to do that. I think it, it pays dividends, you know, spend that time learning to cast or, you know, there's a lot of new fly guides around. Um, there could be one in your area, you know, it's really accessible to learn. So book a trip with somebody and you can go out and they can give you some lessons and do's and don'ts. And it's, it's really easy to fix people's cast with a musky cast um, because it's not, it doesn't have to be pretty at all. I, I guess I should have stressed that earlier. Musky casting is not pretty. <laughs> you know, it's just get that thing over there and bring it back over here. You know, it, there's no like crazy carrying tons of line in the air, big, crazy tight loops or, or anything like that. It's the, the, the rods and the lines are designed together and they're not designed to carry line. They're shooting lines. So you have very little line out and then bam, it'll shoot 50, 60 feet pretty easily. So it's, you know, with just a very little coaching or just a little bit of help, you can get anybody that understands the mechanics of casting any kind of rod, you can get them casting a musky fly rod. You know, Chris, how many customers do you have that, you know, haven't, they have no experience with, you know, fly fishing at all. And they come on a trip with you hoping to learn from you. Is that something you see regularly? Yeah, really a lot. One of my favorite stories to tell is uh, we were doing trips um, every year with the Wounded Warriors in action. So Purple Heart vets that come out for a couple day trip to do something different. Some guys go hunting, turkey, deer, whatever, fly fishing, trout, fly fishing, muskies, you know, bass fishing in Texas, whatever they want to do. And uh, I had a guy that never casted a fly rod before in his life, not for panfish, nothing. And he came out and got a 49 incher. You know, it's unreal. You know, sometimes, uh, Brad can attest to this too, probably teaching somebody to cast a bait caster in the morning. And then by the afternoon, they got a 25 pounder in the under their belt already or something, you know, something cool. So, uh, yeah, new, new people all the time. I, I sort of, uh, you know, not to sound like a jerk. I sort of pride myself on that. It's kind of fun. It's really, really cool to get people their first muskie on a fly and, and, uh, 
I keep track of it every year. You know, last year we had 11. Oh, that's pretty impressive. 11 people got their first fish fly fishing with you. I mean, that it can't, it can't be an easy deal. You know, I can only imagine, you know, just, just, you know, getting people started on it. It can't be the most simple thing all the time, but maybe it's easier than I anticipate. I've never done it myself. They like it, you know, they bite it. It's just uh, putting it in front of them and learning how to deliver the fly to them. You know, I do a really a lot of fly fishing trips, so it, you know, you just see it a lot. They, they will eat it. They do bite it. <laughs> We've been doing it now um, on these bodies of water for, you know, some of these guys, 15 plus years, they're still biting them. All right, Chris. So earlier you kind of flew by some baits pretty quick. If two, if if you had to pick two baits that you're going to fish with a river that is going to try to cover, I mean, I mean, I understand this is going to be a difficult question. It's going to try to cover most of the season. Which two baits do you have to have if you're river fishing? Yeah, definitely a tough question just because things change throughout the year, just like they do on a lake, you know, so you kind of cycle through your go-tos. But, you know, early season opener, pretty much until it gets really, really cold, they'll bite the So, uh, you know, double eight, double nine, double ten, whichever you're, whichever your poison whichever one you like throwing the most definitely a bucktail and if i had to choose one other bait and you're handcuffing me to it i think i would pick a tube just because you could work it so many different ways and it's pretty versatile kind of can be a rubber bait kind of can be a glide bait kind of can do do a few different things um so that would be my my second one um if i had to pick a third one it would be some sort of top water for sure and i think if you're going on a river trip, got to be one of the bullets in your box, you know, got to have some sort of, the prop baits seem to work the best. Honestly, they, they go over stuff nicely. You, they work well in the current. Some of the more fancy stuff, your flat tails or your walk the dog will work in certain situations, but, uh, that prop bait is kind of whichever your, your, whichever one you like the most, you know, that's, that's a darn, that's a really, really good tool. That's um, it's a little surprising. I didn't expect to hear about the uh, the tube. I expected to hear about a bucktail. I expected to hear about a topwater. I wasn't expecting a tube. But you know, quite honestly, in the past, I'd say three seasons, tubes have seemed to have exploded. And quite honestly, if if you're not using one, you definitely should be. It's not the easiest thing I think for people to transition to if you're used to using bulldogs or deuces or or whatever your poison is, but. Uh, yeah, they're versatile, man, and they, they bite them pretty good. There's not a lot of rubber there. They, they seem to get hooked pretty well. It's a good bait, and I would agree with you uh, 100% that in the last couple of years, seems to be getting a little bit more attention. Um, I, there, I'm sure there would be guys out there that would argue that they've been using them for 10-plus years, you know, and that's, that's true, too. It's an underutilized tool for sure. Fun bait. I like it. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. There's for sure people out there are like, yeah, I've been using those things forever because it's not a new tool. I mean, they've been using them for a, a long time. Before Red October was, there was like the Lindy Tiger tubes. In fact, that's why Red October even started was because they stopped making them. So they basically started making them themselves because they were catching so many fish on tubes. So it's, uh, like I said, it's not a new tool, but definitely seems to be gaining popularity as we as we continue on in the years of musky fishing. Definitely. I remember the first musky guide trip I ever went on. I was uh, probably a freshman in high school. And uh, I went out with Joe Michael in southern Wisconsin. Great guy. And he taught me how to run the tiger tube. <laughs> so you're talking about over 20 years ago. 
I think one of the cool things about the tube is that you can use it in multiple ways. And, and now, I mean, if you think about 15 years later from when I don't remember the exact year that red October came out, but there's so many different weight systems. They're running tails outside that tube, whether it be flashaboo or it could be, you know, a grub tail, it could be whatever you want it to be. But with the weight systems and the hooking options that you have on a tube today, you can hop it. You can actually use it almost like a glider. There's so many different ways to fish a tube. And I, I think that's what's so cool about it. And I, I think it's a perfect choice as being, you know, one of the top two that you would ever go to. Definitely. And that hybrid rig that I get from you, Jeff, is, uh, is the way that I like to rig them for the river. Of course, the one in the middle of the weighting system is kind of like going to be the versatile one. But that, that's my, my go-to anyway. My favorite way to rig them is that hybrid. Yeah, when Mark started bringing those things out, he told me, he said, this is going to be one of those rigs that, you know, take a little while to catch on, but pretty soon it's going to be the rig that people want. And, I mean, it's good to hear that you like it. I actually haven't even played with it that way. I don't know why. I mean, I do th throw tubes on occasion. I wouldn't say it's my go-to, but definitely something I do consider throwing. So maybe uh, with that recommendation, I might have to consider doing it a little more often. Definitely. Uh, like I said, it's my, my favorite way. All right, Chris. Well, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. I know smack dab in the middle of a musky season, things get pretty busy, especially for these guides that we bring on. If people are looking to, you know, learn more about you, they want to book a trip. What's again, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. The best way to find me is just my website and it's just chriswillen.com. Phone number, my email, all that stuff's on there to get a hold of me. And uh, you can contact me that way, and I can kind of get you what I got for open dates. There's not a ton of them for the rest of the season, but I got a few uh, summer dates and um, a few late season dates. If you're if you're a <laughs> if you're a November animal, like a lot of us are, absolutely. So once again, Chris, I want to thank you for coming out and talking to us about musky fishing, and we want to thank our listeners again for putting up with us for I don't know how many episodes in a row, a whole bunch. And we'll catch everybody again with a new episode next Wednesday. Thank you.